Well, hello again, and thank you for joining with us today. We, um, we're going to have a, um, a message today for uh, Good Friday, and I want to answer the question today, what is so good about Good Friday? Uh, the truth is, whenever you go back and you read what Jesus went through on Friday, it is a, um, it's, it's hard to describe it as good. And so I want to answer the question today, why do we call this Good Friday? I also want to remind you that, um, you know, this um, we're not commanded in Scripture to take any specific day and celebrate or, or remember and celebrate the death of Jesus Christ. But um, I feel like that it's a good thing for us to have seasons like this, as long as we understand that these are not... Um, some this is not some law that we're trying to follow that we have to observe this in order to stay right with God this is simply a time that we choose as Christians to come together and to remember the death burial and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and so um i pray today that we can answer the question what is so good about good friday but before we get started if you would just pray with me Father in heaven, we come to you right now just to say thank you for reminders. Lord, you know that um, we are forgetful people. Lord, we, we need times and we need seasons like this to, to remind us even of the great things that you have done for us. Father, there's so many things that uh, you have done that our human minds would tell us we'll never forget it, and yet we do. We so easily forget. So, Father, I thank You for Good Friday. I thank You for the day that we set aside to remember that Jesus died and it is good. And so, Father, I pray today that You would help us to answer the question, what makes this Friday good? And, Father, I pray that um, we would be able to remember and be able to celebrate and be able to be thankful and give You praise for what You have done for us in the death of Your Son. Father, we love You. I just ask You right now that You would help us to open up Your Word. Lord, there's nothing I have to say that is more important or even significant in any way over what You have already said. And so, Father, I just pray that You would help us to open up Your Word. I pray that when we get done here today that no one would say, um, uh, what a great preacher. Lord, I pray that today they would look and they would say, what a great God. And Father, I pray that You would help us to do that today. So open up Your Word. You speak to us. You tell us what we need to hear from Your Word. And Father, we'll be careful to give You the praise and the glory for it all. We love You. We praise You. We ask You for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I'm going to be reading to you from the book of Isaiah chapter 52. And we'll go into chapter 53. Um, this is part of a series of what uh, many people call the servant songs. They start somewhere around Isaiah 41 or 42, I believe it is, and they go all the way to, I think, 54 or 55. I, I, don't quote me on that, but it's somewhere in there. There are several songs that were written in lyric form so that when we go back and look at it, we can see uh, the life of Christ played out in the servant songs as we read them in Isaiah. We're going to pick out the one that many refer to as the suffering servant. And it comes here in Isaiah chapter 52, beginning in verse 13. And it goes pretty much all the way through chapter 53. 
And so we're going to read that today. And as I read it, I just want us to keep in mind that this is what Christ has done for us. We are reading these things, and Isaiah wrote them some, I believe, some 600 years before Christ was born. And now here we are some um, 2,000 years after Christ has died, and now we're looking back and we're reading these things. And we need to be reminded that the suffering that it's talking about here is portraying what Christ was going to do when Isaiah wrote it 600 years before Christ was born. And so in Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13, this is what it says. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So one of the first things we see right here is that Christ suffered in such a way that His appearance, it says here, was so marred that it was beyond any human semblance. He was basically beat to the point that He was practically unrecognizable. And then it says His form beyond that of the children of mankind. His flesh was ripped. When you go back to Psalm chapter 22, you can see where it says, I can see all my bones. Not a bone was broken, but it says that his bones were out of joint. It says that he could see all of his bones. And so we get some idea of the suffering of Jesus Christ here. And again, the question we're trying to answer is, how in, these, how in the world could we possibly say that this is good? What could possibly be good about this? And so we want to answer that question today, but let's keep reading. In verse 15 of Isaiah 52, it says, so shall He sprinkle many nations." And so here we see that because of His suffering, because of His shed blood, He is going to sprinkle many nations with His blood. Kings shall shut their mouths because of Him. For that which has not been told them, they shall see. And that which they have not heard, they will understand. But who has believed our report? And here's the Jews speaking here. They say, who has believed what He has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. In other words, he looked like a nobody. And so the Jews are looking back here now, and this is what they will say whenever God finally removes their blindness and removes their hardness of heart. And when they finally look back at the end time and they see Christ for who he is, this is what they're going to say. They're going to say, who believed it? Who believed it? And then they're going to say, it, it was to us that the arm of the Lord was revealed, but yet we didn't believe it. He grew up before us like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He looked like a nobody. He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him. He had no beauty that we should desire Him. In other words, He didn't look like the king they were waiting on. He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, He was afflicted, and yet He opened not His mouth. He was like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so He opened not His mouth. By oppression and judgment He was taken away. And as for His generation, who considered that He was cut off out of the land of the living? And we know the answer to that. No one did. As for His generation, none of the Jews considered that He was cut off from the land of the living, that He was stricken for the transgression of the Jewish people. And listen to this. They made His grave with the wicked, He was sacrificed on a cross between two thieves who deserved to be there, and yet He did not. And with a rich man in His death. And we'll talk about that more probably Sunday Sunday morning whenever we get into our message for Easter resurrection morning. Although He had done no violence and there was no deceit in His mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. He He has put Him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. Here we see the resurrection in this. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. In other words, Christ is happy to divide his inheritance that he is the one that deserves it, and yet he divides it with us. Beautiful, beautiful thing. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes the intercession for the transgressors. And so all through this, what you see here is the suffering of the servant of God, the suffering of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we see that this suffering led up to his death even. He was obedient up to death, as Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, I believe it is, uh, or Philippians chapter 2, I believe it is. And so we see that Christ suffered in a way that we can't imagine. You know, years ago, <clears throat> when The Passion of the Christ first came out, I remember that I was watching it. Uh, we all went to the movie theater to see it as a church. And, and I can remember sitting through the movie theater thinking, man, this is Hollywood putting their spin on this. I remember thinking, um, uh, it, it's silly that he didn't suffer to that extent, to the way that this movie made it look. And yet, what I have learned since then is that not only did he suffer to that extent, But Hollywood and all of their spins could not show us the degree to which our Lord and Savior suffered for us on that day. And so why in the world would we call a day that had that much suffering? Remember, uh, Isaiah said that his visage was marred more than any other man. Beyond human resemblance, that literally when you looked at him, you could not tell who he was. Almost you couldn't tell what he was. And so why in the world would we look at a day like today as Good Friday and say, it's good? Why would we want to remember that? Why would we want to 
to celebrate that, to yes, we mourn that, that, that because of our sin this had to take place, yet at the same time we celebrate that God so loved the world that He was willing to do this, that He gave His only begotten Son. And so we're going to look at what I believe are three main reasons why we can call Good Friday good in spite of all of the suffering, or actually not in spite of, because of. The reason we call it good is because of the suffering and because of the death. So the first thing that I want you to understand is that His suffering can be called good because it provides us the example for godly life here on this cursed world. In other words, it shows us how to endure suffering for ourselves. Remember, Jesus told us that in this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And so we know that in this world there is suffering. The Apostle Paul told us that it is through many sufferings that we must enter into the kingdom of heaven. Um, we are told that those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, Jesus shall suffer persecution. And so we know that as Christians, because we are um, following Christ and the world hates Christ, then the world is going to hate us. And this cursed world is going to bring suffering, especially to us as Christians. It's going to bring suffering to everyone, but even more so to Christians, I believe, is what the Bible teaches us. And so because of that, we need an example of how to endure through this suffering. See, a lot of times we think that Jesus could have just come to earth and just died. He didn't have to live through suffering. He could have just went straight to the cross and died and paid the payment for our sin, and that would have been all that was needed. But yet, that's not necessarily true. He came here to live a perfect life in perfect obedience to the law of God to satisfy what God demanded from the law because God demanded perfection. And we fell way short of that. And so Christ came and He lived out this perfection and He lived out obedience to God, enduring suffering all through. There was no amount of temptation and no amount of suffering that took Him off of His course of perfection to the law of God. He fulfilled it in every way. And now we have that perfect example of how to endure suffering and how to keep following Christ throughout this cursed world that has trouble and tribulation for each and every one of us. Uh, just an example to show you what I'm talking about. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3 and 4, look at what it says. It says, He was despised and rejected by men. In other words, he understands what it feels like to be despised. He understands what it feels like to be rejected. He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. In other words, he is a man that, that his life for the most part was filled with sorrows. And yet, he stayed the course. And yet, he kept trusting and he kept following and he kept fulfilling the mission that God had sent him here to fulfill. He was acquainted with grief. In other words, he, was, he knew grief very well. Him and grief, they knew each other. And, and this is the life that he lived while he was here. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and he was esteemed not. Verse 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried 
our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. So what we see in that is that this was a man that understood suffering. And so because he understood suffering, we have an example from him that we are able to follow his example and endure suffering in this life and yet keep, pers keep persevering. Keep growing stronger in faith, not going backwards, but the more suffering that comes our way, the closer we cling to Him, the more we look to Him for our example, the more we follow Him. Some other scriptures that point this out come from 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 through 24. And listen what this says. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? In other words, if you deserve it, then what credit did it do if you endure through it? But if when you do good and suffer, for it you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. And here's why. Look what he says in verse 21. You have been called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed." And so there what you see is that Christ has been sent here to suffer excuse me, so that we have an example of how we are to live in this life. Let me show you why. Go with me now to Romans chapter... Um, let me see where it's at. Romans chapter 12, <clears throat> beginning in verse um, 18. Look at what we're commanded to do. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, you live peaceably with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will, reap, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here's what we see in that. You and I as Christians have been called to be the light in the midst of darkness. We have been called to, uh, to endure suffering, to not take out vengeance for ourselves, but to trust that God is going to take vengeance out for us. And our job is to live peaceably with all as much as possible. Our, we're, we're not a rebellious people. As Christians, we are a peaceful people. We are a people that we live for God, um, even in spite of persecution. Uh, we, we stand for Him no matter what, but yet as much as possible, we live peaceably with all men and we don't rise up and we don't try to, um, to uh, revolt against um, 
anyone unless again we have to for the sake of following God. Jesus came and because He suffered the way that He did and yet He opened not His mouth, the Bible in Isaiah 53 said He was like a lamb that was uh, led before the shears or before the slaughter. He, he was silent. He didn't open His mouth. And so what we see here is that Christ gave us the example in His suffering all the way to the point of His death. This is the way that He was. He just stayed obedient to God. He didn't try to rebel. He didn't try to take vengeance out for Himself. He just, again, go back to 1 Peter chapter 2 again. It says that He entrusted Himself to the one who judges justly. And so we are called to do the same thing. And so we can look at a day like Good Friday and know that He suffered to a degree more than any other person. And yet we can call it good because He is our perfect example. Without that example, we would not know how to be obedient to God and still, um, and still uh, be who we're supposed to be as Christians. But because He went before us and He suffered the way He did, and yet He continued to be obedient to God, and He stayed a peaceful person. He rendered unto Caesar what was Caesar's. He, um, he, he lived the life that we are called to live. And now we have that example that we follow Him. And so it's a good thing that we have Friday to remember what He endured and what He went through because... That was the suffering He had to endure to be the example that we needed to show us how to endure suffering. Again, He provides us the example for this godly life here in this cursed world. We needed that example and He lived it out perfectly. And so we can look at a day like today and all of His suffering that even led to death and we can say, it's good. It's good. And I'm thankful for it. And I'm thankful that He was willing to do it for my behalf. The second reason why we call this Friday good, <clears throat> because He can feel and understand our weaknesses. Let me say that again. He can feel and understand our weaknesses. But the only reason... Some people may accuse me of blasphemy for saying this, but apart from Christ becoming flesh apart from God becoming flesh in the body of Christ Jesus on this earth and living the life to the degree that He did, that is something that God could not do. He could not understand our weaknesses. He could not relate to us in the way that He can now. And I'll prove it to you with Scripture here. If you'll go with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, you'll see what I'm talking about. Hebrews chapter 4, <clears throat> in verse 14, this is what it says. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now think about that. The reason why He is a great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses is because He has been in every respect 
tempted as we are, yet without sin. In other words, the fact that He came to this world and became a man, that He put on flesh and walked among us and was tempted and tried in every way, the fact that He suffered to the degree that He suffered and yet remained obedient and sinless, those are the reasons why He is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. This is the reason why in Hebrews 4 verse 16 He says, Because of this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And so what we see in Good Friday and the whole life of Jesus for that matter, but we remember it on Good Friday, is that the suffering that He endured, the temptations that He endured, were all part of what He had to go through in order for God Almighty to be able to sympathize with our weaknesses. In other words, He can feel and He can understand why we go through what we go through. He can understand that we are made of dust, and yet He came here, God, who is unable to sin. And He experienced temptation, He experienced suffering, and yet He did not sin. Yet it, it made Him able to be a great high priest who is now able to sympathize with our weaknesses. I, I love the way that... that I think it was in John. Let me look real quick. It's John chapter 16 somewhere, if I remember right. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 7, when He was speaking to His disciples about the Holy Spirit. In John 16, verse 7, He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send you to Him. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in Me concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see Me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And the point that I'm trying to make right there is that Jesus said that it is to His advantage, it is to our advantage that He goes away. In other words, He could still be walking among us right now, yet it is to our advantage that He goes away. And the reason being is because it prepared Him, this walk prepared Him for His next job. And His next job was to be a great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He is our advocate at the right hand of the Father. And yet we also have one that comes along beside of us here, when Jesus went away to do His next job, He sent the Comforter to come to, to pick up where He left off, if you will. And so here what we see is that when Jesus went away, it was our advantage because He was sending us a Comforter that, to walk with us, to teach us, to guide us, to convict us, to, uh, to make sure that we are walking in obedience to God. And yet, to empower us as well. And yet, 
what we have with Jesus is that He goes to prepare for His next job. And His next job is that He is a great high priest, but not just any high priest, one who can sympathize with all of our weaknesses. In other words, He can sympathize with every one of my weaknesses, and He can sympathize with every one of your weaknesses. There is not a weakness that you have that He cannot sympathize with. You say, well... Jesus didn't get tempted with um, alcoholism or with adultery or with uh, or, or, or maybe you think he didn't with certain things and and I'm not saying that he was tempted with every single temptation that is possible. What I'm saying is he was tempted to a degree like none other, so that there is no temptation that will ever be stronger than the ones that he overcame. And because of that, he is able to sympathize with temptation, with weakness, with, with, um, with our sinful flesh. And that is a beautiful thing that we have a God who understands. Now again, this does not give us an excuse for sin because he also gives us power to overcome. So I'm saying here that the reason that we say this suffering and this temptation of Jesus was a good thing is because it is through this that He is now able to sympathize with our weaknesses. And I'm thankful to have a God who, when I do mess up and I come to Him for forgiveness, He can genuinely look at me and say, I understand. I don't know if that means anything to you or not, but that means everything to me because I sin. I still sin, and I sin more often than I like to admit. But I'm thankful that I have a God that because of His suffering, to the degree that we can't even imagine, He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, tempted in every way possible, and yet without sin. And He is a God who no matter what we endure, what we go through, He understands. And He is there to comfort. And He is there to give us grace to help us in our time of need. And that is a beautiful thing. And so in Good Friday, on Good Friday, I'm praying that that's what you celebrate. I'm praying that you are thankful that we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. We have a great high priest who was tempted in every way yet without sin, and he is able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses. Therefore, let us come to the throne room of grace to receive mercy in our time of need. What a beautiful scripture. I pray that you get that today. The last thing that I'm going to get with you or that I'm going to share with you today about why we can call this Friday Good Friday is because... On Good Friday, in His suffering and in His death, He satisfied the entire wrath of God on sin completely. It was completely satisfied. For all of those that are in Christ Jesus and covered by His blood, the entire wrath of God on all of your sin has been completely satisfied. All of your past sins, all of your present sins, and even the sins that you're going to commit plumb into your future. All the wrath on all of your sin, if you are in Christ, has been completely satisfied by His suffering and His death on the cross of Calvary. See, what you need to understand is that God 
hates sin. It is completely contrary to Him. The, the very purpose God created us for was to gl glorify Him, to praise Him, to follow Him, to live for Him, to walk in this world so that we showed the world how great He is. And yet in our sin, we decided we don't trust God. We don't believe that God means good for us, but instead we believe that God is trying to hold things back from us. And so we chose to be our own gods. And every sin that has ever been committed in mankind has came out of that mindset and that heart. We have hearts that don't want God. And I could prove that to you, but that's not my message today. The point that I'm trying to get at is that God hates this mindset. God hates this sin, this lack of trust in Him, this lack of seeing Him for who He is and lack of following Him because of who He is. And look with me at Psalm chapter um, 5, verses 4 and 5. To see just a little bit of what I'm talking about here. Psalm chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. <clears throat> it says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. In other words, it's completely contrary to Him. Him and evil, they don't jive. They're on two different completely playing fields. And so in verse 5 he says, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. And verse 6 says, You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. And so what we see in that scripture, and that's just one of many, but what we see is that God hates sin, and He has to punish sin. He cannot let the offense go unpunished. It has to be paid for. There is a penalty for it, and it must be paid, and it must be paid in full. And this is the wrath of God that is on all of our lives because we are sinners. We are born with a heart that says, God, I don't want you. I don't need you. I don't want to see who you are. I don't trust you. I don't love you. That is the kind of heart that we are born with. And all of our sinful ways and tendencies are, are bred out of that heart. And God hates it. He hates it and He must destroy it. It must be paid for with death, a, a, a complete death. You think about um, John chapter 3, verse 16. All Christians should know that and know it well. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe on Him should not, what? Perish, but have everlasting life. When you go back and you study that word perish, what it means is utter and complete destruction. Nothing left. It literally could read like this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believe on Him should not die eternally, but should have everlasting life. And so what we see here is perishing means to, to die for an eternity. You are living in a constant state of perishing, being always destroyed and yet never completely destroyed. That is the ultimate payment for our sin. The Bible says it like this, the wages of sin is death. Now, the Bible teaches us that there is a first death, which all of us are going to die, 
And then there is a second death, which only some of us will die to. The first death is the physical death, that all of us are going to die. This mortal body must put on immortality. The second death is a death that will always be dying. It's the place in the lake of fire where Jesus said, the worm never dies, the thirst is never quenched, the, the, there is um, gnashing and grinding of teeth, um, there is weeping and wailing. Um, it, it is darkness that, that you can't see your hand in front of your face. It is um, eternal fire. You will always be burning and yet never be consumed. And this is the second death that Jesus describes to us and, and many others describe to us as well. But Jesus had a lot to say about it. And so what we see in this is that in the sacrifice of Christ, what He did was satisfied the payment that we owed. See, a man cannot pay for another man's offense. We're all sinners. I have to pay for my own offense. So I can't die for you and pay for your, your offense. There had to be one that come that was sinless. There had to be a man, a human being that was sinless, that could take on this punishment and endure the entire wrath of God completely so that the payment for our sin would be satisfied, the penalty would be paid. There is a doctrine that we refer to called the, the penal substitutionary atonement. And ultimately what it means is that the penalty, penal, for our sin, Christ came as a substitute in our place to make atonement to pay for what you and I owed. And so what we see on Good Friday is that in all of His suffering, the fact that His visage was marred more than any other man so that you couldn't even see His semblance, um, uh, the fact that He endured suffering to a degree that no one else ever has endured or no one else ever will endure, the fact that He did it all the way to the cross, even to the point of death, He could see all of His bones, he could count all of his bones is what he said in, I believe it was Psalm chapter 22. He said, I can count all of my bones. And when we see that suffering to the point of death, the reason why he had to suffer the way that he did and the reason why we can call it good is because his sacrifice satisfied the entire wrath of God for all of the sin of mankind that are in Christ Jesus. It's a sad thing that we remember today when we look at His suffering and His death. And yet, it's a good thing that we look at today. Because my, the wrath of God that rested on me for my sin, and I deserve Remember now, listen, God hates sin. When you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, listen, what you need to understand is that in Sodom and Gomorrah, you see the wrath of God being poured out on mankind. When you look at the flood, you see the wrath of God being poured out on mankind. And ultimately what you see is that at the end of it, it's complete destruction. There's nothing left. When God got through with this world in the days of Noah, the only thing that was left was what was on the ark. Everything else was destroyed. He destroyed the world by the flood except the ones that were on the ark in Sodom and Gomorrah. 
unless you were Lot and his family that God had called out of that and saved them. He, it, there was nothing left except ashes. It was completely destroyed. The wrath of God on your life and my life as sinners requires that we be destroyed completely, that our sin be destroyed completely. And Jesus was our substitutionary atonement. He was the one that took the penalty for our sin on Himself. That's why He had to suffer the way that He did. And we look at it and we see His suffering. And as we, through our tears, we say thank you because we know that it is good. Remember back in Isaiah chapter 53, listen what, what he said here in... Um, In verse 5, But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. And now go over with me to uh, verse... Uh, we'll just skip some of this and go over with me to verse 10 of Isaiah 53. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Did you, do you hear the language he's saying here? He's saying here he was pierced, he was crushed. Chastisement was upon him. His wounds is what we have been healed by. It is the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. He makes his soul an offering for guilt. And so what you're seeing here is that it pleased God because the punishment, remember, God hates sin. God is loving and yet God is just. God is a judge that must see justice done for sin. So He can't just let us go free. The payment has to be made. And Jesus says, or God says through Jesus, I'll pay it myself. A man can't pay for another man's sin. One last scripture in uh, Psalm chapter 49, I believe it is. It's a beautiful scripture to help us understand why God had to come and pay the scripture, why Jesus had to suffer the way that He did. Psalm chapter 49, starting in verse 7. Listen to verse 7 and through 9. It says, Truly, no man can ransom another man or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. And so what we see in there is that, again, because we are all sinners, I can't pay for your sin. I have to pay for my own. I can't even pay for my own. That's the reason why it'll take me an eternity to pay for this. I will have to die for eternity if Jesus, if God does not pay this for me, I will never finish paying what I owe God for the offense that I have committed against the Creator of all things. I can't pay for your sin. You can't pay for mine. But look what it says. Go down with me to verse 15 in Psalm 49. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for He will receive me. And so there we see in Psalm 49 that what God is saying is this, I can't pay for your sin and you can't pay for mine, but God promises that He'll ransom us, 
that He will pay the payment that is needed for you and I to be set free. What we celebrate on Good Friday is that Jesus Christ came and He lived a life in obedience and perfection in every way so that we could have the example that we need to live out this life of obedience as a Christian in this troubled and world full of tribulation. He is our great example. We celebrate this Good Friday because He can feel and understand our weaknesses. Because He was tempted in every way that we, we are, yet without sin, because He has suffered more than any other person ever has suffered or any other person ever will suffer, He can sympathize with our weaknesses. He can understand where we come from. And then lastly, we call it Good Friday and we celebrate this Good Friday and this suffering and this death of our Lord and Savior because through His death, He was our penal substitutionary atonement. He was the one that paid the penalty that was owed for mine and your sin. And because He has paid the price, the ransom has been paid and you and I have been delivered from the grave. And now we will not perish, but we will have everlasting life because we are in Christ Jesus. My prayer today is that everybody that is watching this right now and that is studying this Word with us, that today would be the day that God has showed you that you are a sinner, that His wrath rests on you. And if you have not had a time in your life where He has called you to profess the name of Jesus Christ and to believe on Him, trusting by faith that He has paid the price for all of your sin, and if there has not been a time in your life that you have cried out to Him to forgive you and to ask Jesus to cover you with His blood, if that has never happened in your life, then I pray today that today would be the day that that takes place because there's nothing that could make Good Friday any better than for someone to receive what He has purchased for you on this cross of Calvary. So I pray today for each and every one of you that are hearing this. I pray that you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. I pray that your payment for your sin has been made. And I pray that you are following His example in obedience. And I pray that when you fall short that you understand that He's not a great high priest who can't sympathize with your weaknesses, but was, in, was tempted in every way even as you are yet without sin. And because of that, let us come to the throne room of grace so we can receive mercy to help us in our time of need. I pray that that's what takes place with you today. If I can help you with that in any way, don't hesitate to message me, to call me, to uh, text me, however you need to get a hold of me. I would love to sit down and pray with you and to take you through the Word of God and show you what it means for this Friday to be a good Friday for you the way it is for me. I love you. God bless you.